It is such a joy and privilege to be here with you. Um, I bring greetings from Grace Church of Simi Valley. Um, I want you to be encouraged to know that we think of you guys often. We speak of you often in all the things that God is doing here. Uh, and we pray for you guys uh, often as well. This is my first time. I think I've been here twice, but this is my first time here on a Sunday morning. Um, and it is as exciting as I'm told every time somebody from our church comes uh, to visit. Uh, even though when I moved here in 2014 from New Hampshire and students at the Masters uh, University would tell me they were from Rancho Cucamonga, I thought that was a foreign country. Um, <laughs> I had no idea where that was, but I do, I do feel very much at home here. I've known Eric and Michael for years, um, and actually we attended church with uh, the Severances and the Roberts in Santa Clarita um, for four years out there. I have the best story about Steve. Uh, Steve holds a really special place in my heart. And in 2014, when we moved out to California, we were going through a difficult time. Um, We left everything across the country and moved out here so I could go to seminary. And I was really battling depression and anxiety for a short period of time, Um, just from all of the culture shock, homesickness, uh, academic pressure, financial pressure. And I was working nights as a security guard uh, and I had um, sleep deprivation. So all of these things are piling on me at once. And, and we visit uh, Placerita Bible Church for the first time. And, and Steve and Judy invite us over their home. Uh, our first Sunday, I always remember that for lunch. And we sat down at their table and our kids were crazy. You guys remember that. Uh, and, but I poured out my heart to Steve. And I told him about everything going on in my life. And I told him about my anxiety and my depression and all the reasons for it. And I was looking for comfort. And, and, and I'm not used to people, because I'm from New England, we don't speak directly into each other's personal lives. He looks me dead in the eye at this lunch, and he says, you know, none of those circumstances can cause that to come out of your heart, to cause something to come out of your heart that wasn't already there. That's what he said to me. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> like, here I am pouring my heart out, and I'm looking for comfort, and that's when he gave me. But I'll tell you, that's what I needed to hear And leaving, walking out of their house, it really helped me. And I knew that my biblical counseling training was was done. It was was good. So I'll always remember that. But it's so good to see you guys. Um, Well, the reason that Eric invited me here, as most of you know, is because we are in the process of planting a church in New Hampshire. Um, They sent Eric out here. And when they hired me, they said, hey, we want to send you wherever you're passionate about, where God wants, uh, wherever you feel God is calling you. Um, and that, for me, that's New Hampshire. I was born and raised in New Hampshire, uh, and I only came out here to study uh, to go right back. I did seminary as fast as I could so I could move back home to New Hampshire, and here I am five years after seminary, stuck. I, do, I, 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 I use that word intentionally, stuck out here in California. Um, we got involved in foster care, Uh, And that's kept us out here in California much longer than we anticipated. But in the meantime, we're so excited that God brought us to Grace uh, Simi Valley, where they are intentional about training and sending out. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Uh, I want to talk about church planting and sending and and why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, Because Aubrey Malfers once wrote that through church planting... The church has survived. 
through church planting, the church has survived. Uh, I get a lot of questions from people. Why would you plant a church? Aren't there plenty of churches that you could just go pastor? Uh, Why would you plant now? We're still kind of in the midst of this lingering pandemic. It seems like a really bad time to plant. And why would you plant all the way across the country in New England? And, And why would your church send away faithful leaders and families? And these are all good questions, and I want to answer them. Um, Really, my goal this morning is to help you see the vital nature of church planting. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Romans 15. I'll start at verse 17, actually, and then we'll read down through verse 21. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we gather uh, together this morning uh, to glorify you and to adore you uh, for who you are and for all that you've done in each of our lives. Lord, every time you save An individual, it is a miracle, and we are all recipients of your miraculous grace and mercy. Uh, And Lord, it is our desire to to understand our mission and to understand the heart of our God who longs to see more people come to know him, who desires to have churches spread out all over the world that are salt and light and that declare the truth, the truth that saves, the truth that delivers us from the power and the stronghold of sin. So, Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning that you would be with us. I pray that you would work in our hearts, align our hearts with your will, unite us together in our mission. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Have you guys ever met a brand new believer who is just absolutely on fire for the Lord? Okay, you can picture that guy, right? Or that girl in your mind. Everywhere they go and to everyone they meet, they talk about Christ so excitedly and so experientially, okay? And they're they're always witnessing and telling other people about the gospel. Uh, And then there's the rest of us who have been saved for a long time. We've been Christians most of our lives. Our passion doesn't quite measure up to their passion. We might even look at this new believer and just say, what is wrong? With them, when in reality we should be looking to ourselves and asking, "What is wrong with us? What is wrong with me?" And I'll tell you what's wrong. What's wrong is that we have forgotten the gospel. Uh, the reason that a passionate new believer might rub us the wrong way is because they've revealed something to us about ourselves that we have gospel amnesia, that we have a memory problem. We forget about the grave significance of God's grace uh, and how, and and we just realize that we have taken it for granted. It's become familiar to us. 
the further removed we are from the date of our conversion, the more familiar the gospel becomes. And we all know that familiarity breeds contempt or apathy. But this is also true, not just for individuals, but this is a corporate problem. We undervalue church. The more familiar church becomes to us, the more we take church for granted. You and I are privileged to be part of healthy churches where there's depth to the preaching and, and warmth in the fellowship. And, uh, and, and we take that for granted. We're so used to it. We forget that in other places in the world, in other places in our own country, healthy churches like this are few and far between. And I want to submit this to you this morning. A church that is not passionate about sending and planting is out of touch with the spiritual battle raging on around them. The further removed we are from our church's foundation, the more we take planting for granted also. A church that is not passionate about planting is out of touch with its own unique history. Have you ever considered the fact that every church that's ever been in existence since the beginning of the church in Acts, they were planted one way or another. They were planted. The church in Simi Valley was planted 60 years ago. 60 years ago. All the benefits that we enjoy there at that church can be traced back to a small group of people who in 1963 saw a need for a brand new church in Simi Valley. And they followed God's calling. Same with this church. Before this church was revitalized, it had a plant date. Some of you are aware of that. Some of you aren't. Most of you are more familiar with the fact that this church has been revitalized. That's a unique part of your history. And the more time goes by, the more distance between now and that date of the revitalization, you're going to start to take it for granted. So a church that is not passionate about planting is out of touch with its own unique history. A church that is disconnected from its history is usually disengaged missionally. So again, churches have an inward focus. I've already noticed as I got here early and saw your love for one another, saw all the kids together. You love one another. I see that. I feel that. It's palpable here. I've heard about it. When people come visit from Simi Valley and they return, they say, you got to go to Rancho. And I see it. And and you guys have an inward focus. And this inward focus is important. And this inward focus is our default. But the church also needs an outward emphasis as well, right? Is that not the mission of the church? Well, there's a time to intentionally come together. And there's a time to strategically separate so that our witness can multiply and so that more people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we gather to grow together. That's why we're here this morning. We gather to grow in wisdom and maturity and love, but we must also scatter at times so that other people who don't have the blessings that we are enjoying right now can have that in a place where that doesn't exist. Paul writes these words in verses 20 and 21. uh, As he's separated from his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who exist in Rome. And he made it clear to them, hey, I long to be with you. Again, that inward focus. 
but I'm unable to be with you because I'm out on mission. That's the outward focus. Although he longed to be with them, he was intentional about bringing the gospel to lost people in difficult places. Paul was a frontier missionary who desired to cross cultures and reach unreached people in unreached places. And again, we have this word here in our text, verse 20, thus I aspired, that's the word, it's a Greek word for ambition. It's a compound word, one word meaning love, another word meaning perceived value, worth, and honor, and to put together this word ambition that Paul uses means to zealously pursue, eagerly strive for a specific task with a specific goal. And that's what church planting is all about. Dave Harvey defines ambition as this. Someone willing to pursue a valued prize with uncommon devotion. Uncommon devotion to a specific task, a specific goal, a specific prize. Often when we think of this word ambition, we think of it in a negative sense. We think that that's wrong. And of course, we're thinking of selfish ambition. But ambition itself is not wrong. Other times, when we think of ambition, we think of it in secular terms, right? We think of um, athletes with uncommon resolve, like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Michael Phelps. Or we think of businessmen who've, who've changed the world, like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bill Gates. That's what we think of when we think of ambition. And of course, that also contributes more to the fact that we think about it as a selfish thing. But here in our text, we see that ambition is a good thing. And we see Paul's ambition. And we see that Paul was the most ambitious missionary of all time. And Paul's ambition was of much greater significance than the people I just mentioned. Because he was ambitious about the gospel. He was ambitious about the news of Jesus Christ being spread out throughout the world. He, his valued prize was seeing souls saved. His priority was evangelizing and establishing new churches. Yes, his ambition was to preach Christ crucified, but it was more specific than just preaching Christ crucified. It was this. First thing we want to look at from this text is we see Paul's ambitious mission. What was Paul's ambitious mission? Paul's ambitious mission was to preach Christ where he was not named. That's what the beginning of verse 20 says. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. In Paul's day, you know, the apostles, the other apostles were commissioned by Jesus Christ. And the mission that Jesus gave them was that the mission of their mission to bring the gospel to the world was supposed to start at their hometown, that was the epicenter, and from there it was supposed to go out in concentric circles. Jesus commissioned them in Acts 1.8, saying, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see how that builds out from the epicenter of their hometown, out, 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 reaching out to the whole world. And in verse 19 in our text, we read something pretty stunning, something pretty audacious. It sounds like it's bragging. Uh, Paul says that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. It's a pretty bold thing to say, that he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in a specific location. 
But I want to make it clear what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that everybody there has been reached with the gospel. He's not saying, like some evangelists do, you know, everybody that I witnessed to on the airplane over here was saved. It's not what Paul's saying. Rather, Paul's saying uh, that people, the people in this area have been reached with the gospel. He's passed on the baton. There are now boots on the ground in this area. There are now disciples who are making other disciples. Christ is named here, and now I'm ready to move on to another place where Christ is not named. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. In 1813, Adoniram Judson was the very first American missionary to go overseas. And this sending of Adoniram Judson sparked an American foreign missions movement. And since then, whenever we think of missions, we think of it as something that is in another country. We automatically think of international missions in Africa, Japan, India. And when I say the word missions to you, very rarely do you think about the United States. We forget, you know, we're focused on our town, the epicenter, and we're focused on the world. But oftentimes we forget the space in between there. We forget about the faithful domestic missionaries of the past, men like David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, and John Elliott. And historically, yes, we have been a Christian nation. Christ has been named here. But in our lifetime, the spiritual landscape is shifting quickly. Christianity, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christianity is on a steady decline here in the United States of America. And the statistics are staggering. And I want you to see this this morning. Young people are leaving the church. In our postmodern era where deconstruction and deconversion are on the rise, they say that 70% of youth walk away from the church by the time they're 22 years old. 70%. And then 80% become disengaged by the time they're 29. Young people are leaving. Also, the rise of the nuns. There's the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not Catholic nuns, but the rise of the nuns. That is the religiously unaffiliated, okay? In the 1930s and 40s, here in the United States, the religiously unaffiliated were only 5% of the total population, 5%. By 1990, it grew to 8%. In 2008, it doubled to 15%. In 2012, 20%. And today, it's at 20, sorry, 20%. Today, it's at 27% in the United States, religiously unaffiliated. Um, <clears throat> we live in a postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic, secular society. We do. In a recent book, Al Mohler wrote, in terms of the intellectual elites and the culture-forming sectors of society, theism is not even an available worldview. Many people in the most privileged sectors of the modern society do not even know a single believing Christian. They are no longer haunted by the remains of a Christian frame of mind. They are truly secular. Today, there is no social capital to be gained by joining a congregation defined by biblical truth. And we, 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 we read those statistics, and we have to face the brute reality of the, the, the nation that we live in. And we have to realize that Christ's name is not on the lips of over 150 million Americans. 
and we're to reach them. So when you think of missions, don't think of other countries only. We have to remember that our mission is not only to international, you know, other countries, and it's not just to our local community here in Rancho Cucamonga, but we're supposed to reach everything in between. Our Judea and Samaria are other states, and it's our own country, the United States of America. They need the gospel too. As Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? I'm so thankful that Grace sent Eric and and that Orange sent Michael up here. They were sent here in the United States on a mission. I'm so thankful that my church wants to send me back home to New England. So we see that Paul's ambition was to preach in a secular place where Christ was not known, where Christians and churches were sparse. He really was a trailblazing pioneer missionary. And we must follow his mission. We must not only focus on our immediate community and other countries, but we must focus here in the United States. There's a huge need here in the United States. So we saw Paul's ambitious mission, but next we want to look at Paul's ambitious resolution in verse 20, the end of verse 20. I'll, I'll read the whole thing. It says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Paul's ambitious resolution was to build on a fresh foundation. Paul's mission was to preach the gospel where Christ was not named, yet he was more strategic about his process. Listen, he fully supported the other apostles and their missional efforts, but Paul himself was personally resolved to go to challenging places and to start fresh. To start fresh. He didn't want to build on another man's foundation. He desired to have a groundbreaking ministry that established brand new faith, brand new churches in unreached difficult places. Neil Cole believes that Paul probably planted around 20 churches in his lifetime. And that from those 20 churches, there were even more daughter churches and granddaughter churches and great-granddaughter churches that were birthed from those. Here in the United States, what I'm trying to help you guys see is here in the United States, we need more churches. With the rise of secularism comes the decline of the church, and it's literally happening before our eyes. If you're not aware of this, you must open your eyes. Membership is in decline. In just two decades, church membership dropped from 70% in 1999 to 50% in 2019. Right now, it's currently at 47% of the U.S. population that attends a church. And for the first time, church membership has fallen below the majority. And it continues to be on a rapid decline. Also, something else happening in our lifetime and before our eyes and as a result of COVID is we have church closures. It's estimated already that 4,000 to 8,000 churches close their doors every year. That's 75 to 150 churches every week shutting their doors for good. 
Um, churches are closing their doors at a rate three to four times higher than the number of new churches being planted. Church planting is slowing down. The number of churches closing is speeding up. Churches are not replicating as fast as they are closing. This is not a sustainable model for our country. And, and, and just watch the pace quicken over the coming years. Also, I read a report this week from Barna that 38% of pastors have seriously considered quitting the ministry altogether as a result of all the new difficulties that they now face. And then there's a comment underneath that said, and the other 62% are lying because they have, they have considered it. But pastors are leaving the ministry. Churches are shutting their doors. People are no longer going to church. John Piper says that missions exist because worship does not. And I'm here to tell you that church planting exists because everyday churches are closing their doors. Church planting is vital because the church is always one generation away from extinction. That's why I love youth ministry. That's why I love church planting. Because through church planting, the church has survived. Church planting has been the model since the very beginning. All the way in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, you and I, we must hold the line. We must stand in the gap to continue this great tradition. Yes, there's a need for revitalizing churches. And we've done that. And we've seen the fruit of that. I'm so encouraged to be here this morning and to see the fruit of church revitalization. Yes, there's a need for world missions. And we do that. And you guys are doing that. I heard it in, in Eric's prayer this morning. You're, you're doing world missions. Yes, there's a need to send pastors to existing churches that need a new shepherd. Yes. But what I want to impress upon you this morning is this. The greater, more desperate need of the hour is for more Christians to be sent out and for more churches to be planted in secular strongholds in our own country. The same need that drove missionaries to go to foreign countries now drives us to focus today on our own country. There's a huge need. Thirdly, we see Paul's ambitious expectation in verse 21. Paul's ambitious expectation that eyes and ears would be opened. Verse 21 says this, and he's quoting from Isaiah 52. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. What Paul does here is he quotes from Isaiah 52, verse 15, which is actually the beginning of a well-known section of Scripture about the suffering servant that we attribute to Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 53. But it actually starts earlier uh, in Isaiah 52. And a major theme throughout all of Isaiah is the salvation of the Gentiles. Isaiah 49.6, I love this. Isaiah the prophet is writing to the nation of Israel, and he says it is too small a thing, that, and this is God speaking, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the, the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we see that 
God is just explaining to Isaiah and to the people of Israel that going all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, it was very clear from Genesis chapter 12 on that the heart of God was for the nations, not just the nation of Israel. Even going back in Romans chapter 15, verse 9, it says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Israelites, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So in his mission to preach, and in Paul's resolution to plant, do you hear Paul's posture of expectancy? He actually says, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not yet heard shall understand. Paul was not just an ambitious man, but he was a man that was filled with hope. As he preached the gospel ambitiously, he had the hope and the expectancy that people would hear the good news and that that good news would transform their lives. He was full of hope. He didn't limit the outcome. He left the results to God, trusting Christ's heart for the lost, believing that God can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. He desired to get the gospel to new places, to new people. Why? So that unbelieving eyes and ears would be opened for the first time. And I just love the way it says it here. Paul did not simply say, as a matter of fact, that there are people who don't know the Lord here. Rather, he said, there are people who here who have yet to know Christ. He had hoped that there were people who would come to Christ. He was hopeful, he was hopeful, he was optimistic, and he was expectant. I think of Acts 18, 9 through 10. Maybe a familiar verse to you. Jesus speaking to Paul as he sends him out on his mission. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. And listen to this last part. He says, for I have many in this city who are my people. And why would Paul be afraid of other Christians in that city? Because Jesus wasn't talking about other Christians. He was talking about unbelievers who were yet to be saved. He was talking about those who were chosen before the foundation of the world, who have yet to hear the gospel, who have yet to be regenerated and transformed by the powerful gospel. And I think back to Paul's calling in Acts chapter 28. He stands before Roman officials and he tells them about his calling. And he says this. He says, I am Jesus. This is Jesus. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. This is Paul recounting Jesus' words to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. This is Paul's mission. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, listen, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, Paul was commissioned by Jesus Christ to go give the gospel to the Gentiles, to those who had never 
heard the gospel before. Why? So that they could enjoy the privileges that you and I enjoy this morning. Did you hear those? Enlightenment. Our eyes are open. We're part of God's kingdom. We've received forgiveness. We have fellowship with one another. Those are all blessings that we enjoy that other people in the world don't. And we want them to come have a place at the table. One of the myths of church planting is that church planting is unnecessary. Why would you plant a church? Why would you revitalize a church in Rancho? There's other churches here. Why would you plant a church in New Hampshire? Aren't there other churches there? But in reality, we know that new church plants actually reach a whole new demographic that other existing churches don't meet. This is why we send people to unreached areas. This is why we replicate our churches. Because like a pebble in the water, a new church committed to church planting can spawn a church planting revolution, reaching to secular corners of our country and to the unreached people there. Thinking of that verse in in Isaiah 49, God said it is too small a thing that I would just save the nation of Israel. I want it to overflow into the nations, into all the corners of the earth. And in the same way, we want to say this morning, it is too small a thing to prioritize fellowship here at this church. We must also prioritize sending and planting to the remotest quarters of our country where the gospel is not preached. It's too small a thing to meet here. It's a wonderful thing to gather here this morning with all of you. And to see the joy as you congregate and the joy in worshiping the Lord and hearing his word. But it's too small a thing. Our love for one another and our love for Jesus Christ must overflow into sending some of our best people out into planting new churches. Why? Because we must have that same posture of expectancy that Paul had. That there are people who don't know Jesus Christ. Yes. But there are people called before the foundation of the world to follow him, who have yet to hear the gospel. And we might be the ones that get to preach it to them. We might be the ones that get to share it with them and experience this. Then, when we do that, there will be more fellowship. There will be more worship, more discipleship, more evangelism, and more church planting. A church that is not passionate about sending and planting is missing out on one of the most effective missional strategies to mitigate the decline of Christianity in the West. I strongly believe that church planting is the answer to the problem in the United States. But let me zoom in for a minute and help you understand this. Why New England? Why New England? Um, I get that question a lot. The statistics for New England are even more critical than the rest of the country. The secularism there is amplified. It's a much bigger problem. Every year, lists come out of the, most, of the top 10 most secular, post-Christian, unreached states. And do you know which states are invariably on that list? All six states of New England. In 2008... The Northeast emerged as a stronghold of the religiously unidentified. Al Mohler, thinking about the unique Christian history in New England, said that to lose New England struck him as momentous. And we must understand 
as is true throughout all of history, world history and church history, that the battle rages more intensely in different places and among different people. And the secularization that exists in New England is both geographically and generationally focused there. Some say New England is less than 3% evangelical Christian. Actually, if that was another country, it would categorize that country as an unreached people group. The director of Gospel Coalition New England says that we need another 10,000 churches to give every New Englander a chance to meet another Bible-believing Christian. Passion for church planting develops out of a strong sense of need. And where is the need greatest today in our country? It's in New England. The need is great. As we've already started to build a team there, we've been, I've been having, for the last year and a half, my wife and I have been having conversations with couples who are interested in our plant. We've been having Zoom meetings with these families together. Uh, my friend Corey, who's with me this morning, and I were in New Hampshire last week. He was visiting it for the first time. And on last Saturday night, we sat down in a living room with 16 individuals who are interested in this church plant. And they're all saying the same thing, that there's no depth. There's no depth of theology. There's no depth in the preaching. There's no depth in the discipleship. There's no depth in the relationships. And they're like, there's really no church in this area that we could go to. There's a growing theological indifference, and there's a growing biblical illiteracy as well. And as we think about the state of New England and the state of our country as a whole, we must realize something important, that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, okay? As our country grows to be increasingly secular and increasingly hostile to Christianity, we must realize this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. And as in any strategy in a war, or is in any war, we know that strategy is necessary. Strategy is vital for survival and for victory. And as we think back to one of the most important battles fought in history, the Battle of D-Day, we remember that brave men and women from the U.S., Canada, and France courageously stormed the beaches of Normandy. But we have to remember that those brave boots on the ground could have never gotten there unless they were sent there. Also, they could have never landed on the beach without Higgins boats called LCVPs, Landing Craft Vehicle Personnel. These little boats were crucial to the Allied victory in the European Western Front. It was this small platoon-sized landing craft. You can picture it. You've seen the documentaries. You've seen the movies. Those little boats that brought them all the way to the shore, even in the shallow water. General Eisenhower said this about Andrew Higgins, who invented those small boats. He says, Andrew Higgins is the man who won the war for us. If Higgins had not designed and built those LCVPs, we never could have landed over an open beach. The whole strategy of the war would have been different. Those small LCVPs were transported by larger ships. Again, men were sent to go fight, where the battle raged the most, a particular area. 
They were sent there, and they were sent on these small boats, and these small boats were sent by bigger boats. Bigger boats carried the smaller boats to where they needed to go. And what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that small church plants in the secular post-Christian regions is the best strategy, the best solution to the current crisis in our country. And just like those men needed the small boats, and just like those small boats needed the bigger ships, small churches need larger churches to send and support them. Now, again, we don't like to talk about size of churches, right? Pastors get together at conferences, and it's the first question they ask, how big is your church? How many people are at your church? You should hear about how many people are at my church. And again, we don't want to do that. That's not what we're what we're after. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare size of churches, but I will say that your church is bigger than my church already because uh, it doesn't exist yet. So um, size doesn't matter, but we have to realize that we both have the same mission, the same sovereign Lord, and the same invincible gospel. And what we need, I'm not saying that we need more bigger churches. I'm not saying we need more smaller churches. I'm not saying we need more medium-sized churches. What I'm saying is that we need churches of all sizes working together, sending people, supporting people, individuals, church plants, revitalizations, where the battle rages the fiercest. We need more churches willing to send We need more individuals willing to be sent. We need more churches willing to spend, and we need more individuals willing to be spent. And I'll answer one more question that I get a lot, and that you might get, and that's why would we send out faithful leaders and families? Doesn't that hurt your church? Won't sending your best leaders and your best families, doesn't that like shrink your numbers a little bit? And isn't there like a hole and a void after you send them? Yes. But sending is what we've been called to do. Again, we are to have a gospel impact that resembles Acts 1.8. From Rancho to California to the rest of the United States and to the world. Our mission is not to build our own kingdom or empire here at this church or in Simi Valley. We we can't repeat the mistakes of the past by, by huddling together, by building our own kingdom and refusing to spread out, right? This is not the Tower of Babel. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We want to build out, not up. We want the light of God's glory to go out. We want the nations to know him. We want our own nation to know him. And the only way that's going to happen is through sacrificial, ambitious sending. And I know that scattering away from one another and separating from one another and sending out your best is is very counterintuitive to growth. Am I right? I feel that. There's a part of me that's... Before that, was like, man, why did they do that? It seems foolish. And then I stand before you this morning, I look at what God has done, and I praise him for that. It's counterintuitive, but we know that division actually causes greater growth and more life. We know that. When it comes to the human race, we know that reproduction is vital 
to survival. In horticulture, we know that pruning allows for more healthy growth. In biology, we know that cells replicate and divide for more growth. In the gospel, we know that that sacrifice precedes resurrection. Reproduction is vital to the existence of the church. Through church planting, the church has survived. Does it come at a cost? Does it come at a great sacrifice? Absolutely. But is it worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. You guys are all recipients of that. You know that. Not only will the unreached be reached, but I believe and I've seen that when, you, when you're ambitious about planting and you sacrifice and send out your best strategically, that the sending church actually grows. It becomes more vibrant with a renewed passion for local missions, and we see in that void it allows other men and women to step up into positions of leadership and influence. Dave Harvey wrote this in his book on ambition. I love this. He says, not only do we have the same gospel that Paul carried, but the spread of that gospel requires us to have a similar ambition to Paul's and to take similar risks. Having an ambition for the gospel pushes us to do things we never expected. It incites us to look beyond the borders of our comfort and convenience God has designed the mission in a way that the gospel goes forward only through risk, cost, and sacrifice. I'll say that last line again. God has designed the mission in a way that the gospel goes forward only through risk, cost, and sacrifice. God has called us to do challenging things at inconvenient times and in difficult places. And as we turn our minds toward Christ and toward communion this morning, I want to remind you that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate example of a cross-cultural missionary. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus Christ, true God of true God, light of light, who we sang about this morning, who existed eternally in heaven as God alongside the Father, what did he do? He left the glories of heaven. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. To save the people on earth. God sent Christ. The Father sent Christ into the world. Now Christ sends us. Maybe God is calling you to leave the privileges of a large, comfortable, healthy, familiar church to plant in a difficult place. We should all consider that. We should all be open to his leading. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to recruit. I told Eric I wasn't going to do that. But if you want to talk to me after the service, we can privately. (laughs) Um, But we should all be open to his leading, right? It's too small a thing to gather together. We want to be sent out. I'll close with this thought. John Piper says this. He says that there are three kinds of Christians. Zealous senders, zealous goers, 
and the disobedient. Zealous senders, zealous goers, and the disobedient. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for the clarity of your word. And of course, we love how the scriptures are not just filled with theology and doctrine. But Lord, we're so thankful that they're filled with real stories. Lord, it's a, it's a historical book. And Lord, we're thankful for the true uh, account of the Apostle Paul and how you used him in church history to reach the lost, to reach the Gentiles, and to plant churches. And Lord, we can't help but see that our church here in, in Rancho is connected to the churches that, that Paul planted. Because throughout history, churches have replicated themselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us to feel the need that exists here in our country. Lord, we're passionate about our local community. We're passionate about reaching the nations. But Lord, may we also be passionate about reaching our own nation for the gospel. Lord, we're watching it crumble before our eyes. Churches are closing their doors. Young people are walking away. Your enemy is blinding the eyes of people our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, our friends. So, Lord, may you give us a greater passion. May you renew with us a desire to see more souls saved. Lord, it's too small a thing to gather together to worship. Lord, we must also scatter throughout the week to witness. And sometimes we must be more strategic and we must say goodbye to our friends and go to a difficult part of the world. Lord, I pray that you might do that from this church. I pray that you would raise up young leaders, new leaders who are passionate about the gospel, passionate about your word, passionate about evangelism, passionate about the church, who want to see more souls come to you. Lord, I pray that you would raise them up. And I pray that you would give this church the means and the desire to support them and to send them because you are worth it. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We want you to be worshiped all over the world. We want you to be worshipped here in our country. We love you. We thank you for your grace and the way it's transformed each of us. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.